1: Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm an emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about smoke and the risks and dangers to your pet, whether or not it's through cigarettes, e cigarettes, or through accidental fires. We'll be right back after these messages. DGP is an all natural formula proven to help aging pets with joint and mobility problems. It goes to work quickly, providing vital nutrients to the joints while reversing the effects of age. Some people see results in as little as seven days. Don't let your dog struggle another day. Call 800-521-0543 or visit dgpforpets.com and enter code ervet. E-R-V-E-T for 25% off your first order and free shipping.
0: Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com
1: the ER vet on Pet Life Radio. We're super excited to have Dr. Garrett Pachtinger, who's a board certified emergency critical care specialist at the Veterinary Specialty and Emergency Clinic in Levittown, Pennsylvania, as our guest today. Dr. Pachtinger, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Very excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: No problem. So I wanted to talk to you about the frequent question that I often get from pet owners. And it's, if I smoke around my pet, is it dangerous? What do you usually say to a pet owner in that scenario?
0: Interestingly enough, of course, I think people worry about, will my pet also get cancer? And I don't think from a clinical perspective, I see lots of cancer. As a toxicologist, I'll let you describe that a little bit more. What I do warn owners about most commonly with smoking around their pets is lung-related disease, so breathing changes, and we can see a variety of changes from sudden spasming of the airways, like asthma-related signs, or even a more chronic-related disease, for example, chronic bronchitis. And so just like it's not wise to smoke around young children and smoke in general for respiratory-related disease, we can see the same clinical signs, the same breathing changes, and respiratory disease, and our small animals that we see in people.
1: So I agree. I don't think there's enough hard evidence in the scientific veterinary literature to say that we know that smoking in a household definitely causes cancer. There are a couple of studies out there that look at it. And yes, we do worry as veterinary professionals that if smoking is dangerous to you, we know it does pose a risk even though there's not super strong evidence of it because we haven't evaluated it in research studies. But I always worry, dogs and cats are so low to the floor and they're always sniffing and smelling. And so I always worry they're actually more at risk because they're smelling all those chemicals that may be embedded in the furniture the carpet. So I agree, Dr. Packinger, especially if a cat has asthma, chronic bronchitis in a dog, it's so much worse. I always tell people for the sake of your pets, You should smoke outside and for the sake of everyone, ideally for your own health and your pet's health, it's better to quit. But if you are going to smoke again, do it outside of an area where your pet is going to be exposed. And that may be the bedroom. If your dog or your cat sleep with you a lot, you want to make sure that you're providing a safe room for them that is smoke free. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about the dangers of electronic cigarettes. Dr. Packtinger, have you seen any kind of nicotine poisoning in dogs or cats?
0: Fortunately, I have not seen any personal cases. We do get cases that get called in from our referring veterinarians because owners commonly ask, as this is a very popular new device in people, what happens if my dog were to ingest? And so it's not really, in my opinion, the inhaling as you inhale and breathe in. The chemicals from a cigarette. But pets are very curious. And we worry that just like they can potentially eat a regular cigarette, they can also eat an electronic cigarette. And then you have risk for the components of the cigarette, including the nicotine and even the battery and material that's housed around that. I'm sure as a toxicologist, you may get lots of questions on this as well.
1: That's right. I actually do. And unfortunately, most of the time it's puppies. Now I wanted to talk about a couple of sources of nicotine out there. We know that sources of nicotine include nicotine gum, even nicotine patches, chewing tobacco, cigars, or filtered or unfiltered cigarettes. And keep in mind, depending on what type of cigarettes you have in the house, the average amount of nicotine in a cigarette can be anywhere between seven to 30 milligrams per cigarette. And when it comes to nicotine, I did want to tell you that it only takes a tiny amount of nicotine to result in severe poisoning in dogs and cats. One of the more popular types of poisoning that I see is when a dog ingests the cartridge from an electronic cigarette, and that can have anywhere between 16 to 24 milligrams of nicotine per cartridge. Most of the time, pet owners are pretty savvy. They're going to keep these cartridges out of reach, but there's no such thing as a pet safe cartridge. Really easy to chew into. My last case was actually a cat that got into a flavored electronic cigarette cartridge, and it had. Drank a little bit of the liquid that had spilled out. So just remember, dogs and cats can be poisoned. Now, Dr. Pectinger, what are some of the signs we can see with nicotine poisoning?
0: So, as you were alluding to, Dr. Lee, certainly the clinical signs of what they get with nicotine poisoning will depend on how much they get into. In general, for the public, I say think about too much caffeine, for example. So, signs people are familiar with with caffeine toxicity are signs like an abnormal or fast heart rate, they can have tremors but sometimes we can even see vomiting, weakness, collapse, incoordination. So these are signs if your puppy or dog were to start having an incoordinated gait, meaning they look like they're drunk when they walk or they're vomiting excessively, they have tremors. Those are signs that we may not know what the toxin is. It could be nicotine, it could be something else, but certainly signs to contact a veterinary professional because it is a a pretty debilitating toxin. It's a pretty rapid acting toxin within even an hour, depending on how much they get into, they can actually start showing signs of toxicity. And this can be in a variety of different products. We talked about cigarettes and electronic cigarettes, but we can see this toxin in even gums or patches, for example. There are lots of other products that have nicotine in them.
1: I agree. So the biggest thing that I worry about is if a dog or cat gets access to a cigarette or one of these electronic cigarette cartridges, they may start to show signs of drooling, that vomiting, that diarrhea, being really hyperactive, having dilated pupils or walking drunk. If you notice those signs, you do not want to induce vomiting because we do not recommend inducing vomiting if your dog's already showing symptoms. So when in doubt, When it comes to poisoning, you always want to get to your veterinarian or call the ASPCA right away for life-saving advice. And the reason why is because if your dog just got into it, your veterinarian may induce vomiting or even the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center can give you guidance on what to do. But if they're already showing signs, it's way too dangerous. You need to get to the vet right away. I will say if you've ever smoked a cigarette or dipped, you know that signs develop really quickly. So If we are going to see poisoning, typically we're going to see them within one to two hours and they can last up to 18 to 24 hours. Now, Dr. Pachtinger, if a dog comes into you and they got into one of these electronic cigarette cartridges and we worry that it's a poisonous amount, what are some of the things that we're going to do to treat that dog in the hospital?
0: Well, the first thing we're going to do is give a general triage assessment. So whenever any patient comes to me in the hospital, the first thing I do is assess their major vital signs, their heart rate. Are they breathing comfortably? For example, any breathing signs as we discussed, what is their neurologic status? Are they debilitated? Are they not mentally aware or appropriate? So we'll look for the major signs of illness or health for that matter to make sure they're stable before we do anything else. Once we determine if they're stable, then we'll consider, as you mentioned before, decontamination. So if the patient doesn't have a contraindication to do so, we'll consider decontaminating them by inducing vomiting and potentially give a dose of activated charcoal. Activated charcoal is the same substance people get if they eat certain toxic chemicals or products. And the goal of giving that charcoal is to bind any remaining toxin from the stomach or intestines that was not vomited back up because we don't want that to recirculate around the body over and over and over. As we mentioned before, many of these patients come in nauseous. They're drooling. They're vomiting. And so if they're dehydrated, we're going to give them intravenous fluids. That'll help hydrate that patient. And if they come in with their vomiting and nausea, we'll give them anti-vomiting medication to make them less nauseous, to make them more comfortable. If they're having any other signs of illness, for example, if they're having seizure behavior, we can give them medications to help control seizures. If they're having abnormally high or abnormally low blood pressure, we have medications to help with that as well. If they're having a arrhythmia, so their heart rate is not a normal rhythm, they're having an arrhythmia, we can give medications to help stop those arrhythmias, and we can consider ancillary treatment as well. If they're very stressed or anxious, we can give them sedation to help calm them down and relieve that anxiety. And then we'll monitor them in the hospital for at least 12 to 24 hours, making sure their vital signs, like such as their heart rate or blood pressure, are doing fine before we discharge them, making sure they're comfortable, stable, and able to go home and do well.
1: And the good thing is with prompt treatment, the prognosis for nicotine poisoning is actually pretty good, but you have to get to the veterinarian or emergency veterinarian right away. And when in doubt, call ASPCA Animal Poison Control for a life-saving care. The safest thing is keep your electronic cigarette cartridges, your purse out of reach, your backpack out of reach, your cigarettes out of reach. Again, way safer for you not to smoke in the household or have any kind of nicotine in reach of your pets. We'll continue with this really cool topic right after these messages from our sponsors. Now, as a veterinarian, I will admit I let my dog lick me on the cheek. But if your dog has bad breath, you may not want to. Did you know that four out of five pets will develop gum disease and bad breath is often the first sign of disease. Now there's an easy natural way to help freshen your pet's breath and protect your dog and cat from gum disease without brushing. If your furry kid has stinky breath, you'll want to check out Pets Are Kids 2 best-selling premium pet dental spray. Just a few sprays along your pet's gum line does a trick. Try it yourself by picking up a bottle at petsourkids2.com and enter code PET15 for 15% off your order. Plus, they have a lifetime money back guarantee and donate a portion of sales to pets with cancer. Go to petsourkids2.com and try a bottle today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet
0: Life Radio. Pet, Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today we're joined with Dr. Garrett Packtinger, and we're talking about the dangers of smoke. We talked about the dangers of smoking in the house with your dog or cat, and the dangers if your dog and cat actually get into your nicotine in the forms of patches, gums cigarettes or even electronic cigarette cartridges i also wanted to talk about the dangers of smoke inhalation and this is really important as we're thinking of all the people and the four-legged creatures that are affected by the california fires dr paktinger do you ever see smoke inhalation and when you do in the er vet how do you treat it and what are some of the dangers
0: unfortunately this is all too common thankfully not every day Now, I know you mentioned the forest fires that we're seeing on the West Coast, but this is not just an outdoor forest fire type situation. Living on the East Coast, I have lots of apartment buildings and townhouses, and unfortunately, we see lots of cases of apartment fires or house fires where we have pets that come in as a result of that. So unfortunately, all too common. And I think one of the biggest signs and biggest concerns we have with these cases that are life-threatening breathing changes. So one of the most common clinical signs that we see from pets that inhale smoke, smoke inhalation, are breathing changes like severe coughing and respiratory distress. There are multiple different parts of the breathing system. I'm just going to break it down into two to try to keep it simple. Sometimes we can have pets that come in because of all the heat and the thermal damage. So how hot that smoke is, how hot the air is, as they're breathing that in, they can have severe swelling of the back of their throat, their pharynx. So they can come in, and I'm not going to mimic the sound on our radio show today, but they can come in with severe snoring type signs that cause them to not be able to breathe in and breathe out effectively. And the medical term is called inspiratory strider. So they can't inhale very well because of all that upper airway swelling because of how hot, Those chemicals, those gases are that they're breathing in. So we can have upper airway or back of the throat type of situation, breathing changes. Then we can have patients that come in that also have lung type changes because they've inhaled all of the chemicals, the soot, the heat that they're breathing in. It can damage the lungs themselves, cause a lot of inflammation and even eventually pneumonia down the road but they can also have lung-related changes. So some of these pets come in with both their upper part of their airway, the back of their throat, their pharynx being severely swollen, and also their lungs can be damaged as well. So breathing changes, fast breathing, shallow breathing, and excessive coughing are common clinical signs that we see and concerning signs from any pet that inhales that very hot and chemical-induced smoke from being in a fire.
1: So what's a pet owner to do? For example, I always say, you know, if you have the chance, you always want to make sure your smoke detectors in your house have an active battery. I always say every July 4th, just so you remember, always replace your batteries in your smoke detectors. You should have them on every single floor. This is going to protect both you and your pets. The second thing is you want to make sure that you have a crate or a carrier carrier readily available if in the event that you need to leave your house and my third little tip for pet owners is make sure you get one of those decals that you can post on the front door that states how many pets you have in the house and this is really important for when the fire department come or the police department so they know whether or not there's two dogs two cats that need to be rescued Now, I oftentimes will see smoke inhalation cases too, and unfortunately, it's because of apartment fires. So again, try to prevent any kind of accident in the first place by making sure that you're protected. Dr. Pachtinger, once an animal presents to you with signs of difficulty breathing, and they smell like smoke, and they may have some thermal burns on them, what's the main therapy that you're going to initiate? What workup do these pets need?
0: Great question. And I'm going to stick with the therapy question first. And one of the most important therapies that we're going to provide these patients is oxygen. And the reason we provide them oxygen, fresh oxygen, and even what we call 100% oxygen, as we put the hose by their face. When I say hose, I don't mean a garden hose, but the hose that delivers oxygen from our oxygen tanks in the hospital. One of the reasons that we do that is in the air that we breathe right now, you and I, there's a mixture of gases. Some is oxygen, some being nitrogen, some being carbon dioxide. One of the chemicals that we worry about a great deal in smoke inhalation cases is the production of a different chemical called carbon monoxide. So it's a little bit different than what we normally breathe out. So many patients that are in a house fire will have what we call carbon monoxide toxicity. And that can cause a variety of signs. That can cause neurologic signs, some of the other things that we discuss with even nicotine as well. But one of the things that carbon monoxide does, and not to get too technical, but it actually knocks the oxygen off of the red blood cells. So it has what I will call a much stronger magnet for the red blood cells and sticks to the red blood cells a lot easier. The problem then being oxygen can't be carried around by your red blood cells to the body to provide oxygen to the heart and the brain and the other vital organs. So one of the best things we can do for these patients is to give them extra oxygen to try to knock that carbon monoxide off the red blood cells so the body's important organs can get oxygen and they're not as severely affected. So aside from what we referred to earlier being treatments like fluids, medications for nausea, potentially in these cases, bathing them to get the soot off preparing and covering and treating any outside wounds. Oxygen is a huge, huge, very important therapy for these patients, which is why if you watch a local news story with a house fire and there's always a pet in there in some way, you'll see the firefighters give the pets oxygen with their firefighter masks to help them out. It's a very important therapy for both people and pets that have been in house fires.
1: Great information. And of course, only because you're married to a veterinary ophthalmologist, I do think we have to mention the eyeballs. What do we have to worry about with the corneas?
0: Excellent question. And I laughed because she would be smacking me on the back of my head if I didn't talk about this. I would always argue that the eyeballs are not life threatening. So you and I, as emergency and critical care specialists, Eh, the eyes can wait, right? We want to make sure the heart and the lungs are okay. I have a patient that I'm doing CPR on and she'll come over and she'll lube the eyes so they don't get dry during my CPR. And she would laugh if if she, and she will eventually hear this. But the important thing as you talk about is that we focus on the life-threatening conditions first, but then we have to look at the rest of the body. So as you noted, this heat and thermal injury can cause injury around their face, their nose, their mouth, their skin, and importantly, their eyes. So we can have the heat that hurts the airway can be the same heat that they inhale in, and they have soot around their nose or their mouth. They have burns to the inside of the nose or mouth. They have burns to their skin, and the eyes are not immune to that. They can also have burns that cause ulcers, or basically very severe abrasions to the eyes themselves, which can cause infection and pain and irritation. So Many times your veterinarian, what they'll do when you present with your dog or cat after being in a fire, after assessing the life-threatening conditions, they'll do what's called a fluorescein stain on the eyes. A fluorescein stain is essentially putting a very special medical dye on the eye to see if there's any irritation or damage to the cornea. If there is, will provide antibiotics to prevent severe infection of the cornea because they are very, very sensitive and can be very, very painful. So although we look at the life-threatening body systems first, the next step is external type things that we also have to worry about, the nose, the mouth, the skin, the eyes, making sure we treat the entire patient.
1: Thank you. Really helpful information. How long do dogs and cats that are exposed to smoke have to be hospitalized for I know, you know, depending on where you live, 24-7 emergency veterinarians, it could be, you know, $1,000 a day. So what should owners mentally prepare for and financially prepare for if their pet ends up needing to be hospitalized for smoke inhalation?
0: That's a great question. And ultimately, it depends on how severe their injury or injuries were before presenting. I will tell you this. My line, my discussion point when I have conversations with owners, if they were in a house fire, had even mild breathing difficulty when they went to the ER themselves, I would highly doubt the ER physician would say, okay, you look okay, why don't you go home and come back if anything changes? They're at least going to keep you overnight in the hospital for monitoring because we want to make sure it doesn't get worse. Unfortunately, there are times where it can get worse following the initial injury. You breathe in all of those chemicals and the inflammation of those lungs, the pneumonitis, it's called, can actually get worse. So I prepare owners for at least spending nights in the hospital. There have been studies looking at this. And I typically tell families, most pets will go home within 24 to 48 hours. And studies have shown that patients with smoke inhalation either were discharged within 48 hours, or if they can't be discharged within that 24 to 48 hour period of time, it tends to be a much longer three to five, five to seven day type period. My personal experience Unless it's a very, very severe case, most pests are discharged within 20 to 48 hours. But I do believe it's important to at least monitor them for one night to make sure there's no progression of disease, to make sure their breathing changes do not worsen and they're stable to go home. I will tell you my experience as well is, unfortunately, there are times when it may be the best for them to stay in the hospital, and owners do agree, because if the fire was severe, at times there's not an immediate place for those pets to go, as the owners try to find new housing, the owners recruit the owners may be in the hospital as well, but 24 to 48 hours is usually a reasonable time frame.
1: And what would you say the prognosis is?
0: I believe the prognosis is excellent in these cases. It is uncommon that we lose a patient with appropriate medical care. Unfortunately, it's not impossible. I I have had patients that we've lost due to severe airway disease when they come in after being in a fire for a prolonged period of time. But the ones that come in and come in pretty quickly following the event, I feel like in most cases we can stabilize them and get them home.
1: And I think the other important thing is if you happen to find a pet and you're a good Samaritan and it looks like it underwent some kind of trauma or some kind of injury, like smoke inhalation, they just survived a fire, please bring them to the ER vet. We are always going to offer good Samaritan life-saving care. And so even though you can't get in touch with the owner right away, I've had the circumstance where the owner's hospitalized because of their own medical emergencies or burns, and we ended up hospitalizing cats for potentially days while we're waiting to hear from the owner, Uh, we've often had really good success with uh, being able to follow up with the owner later and even crowdsourcing to help um, support that owner. Owner. So when in doubt, please always know that ER vets are open for a reason and we do provide life-saving care. Dr. Packinger, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate all the fantastic information that you've provided. And just wanted to give a huge shout out to you for, for joining us on this really important topic.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee, or email me any of your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, and we'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Garrett Pachtinger and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode.
0: Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on petliferadio.com.